Hi friends, this is Jeff. Thank you for tuning in to the Unchained Gospel Podcast, where we let the lion out of its cage in order to set the captives free from theirs. Over the course of the next seven episodes, we will be going verse by verse through the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 3, it's a pretty popular section of scripture, um, but it's something that we always are... uh, we're always, it's always better for our edification to remind ourselves of these truths because we can very easily get turned aside from them, as you'll see when we get into it. Uh, but up to this point, Paul's been addressing the Colossian church uh, on specific issues that they had been experiencing of people coming in and teaching false doctrine about who Jesus was, about his, whether he was deity or not, uh, people who were coming in and trying to put on man-made restrictions and laws that had nothing to do with their faith in Christ, which is what we talked about last week, um, the liberty that's available to us in Jesus Christ so that we're not underneath the the man-made rules and traditions that have been passed on that are not found in the Word. Uh, And tonight we're going to transition, and the next three weeks are going to be more of a practical teaching that Paul says, in light of these things that we've just nailed down, no pun intended, we did talk about Jesus nailing these things to the cross and putting away the public, I'm sorry, the the principalities and powers and the the ordinances and the the sins that have been stacked against us, but uh, tonight we're going to, he's going to talk about now that all these truths have been nailed down in your heart, how should you then live in the shadow of these things? And uh, Colossians 3 talks at length about it. And we're going to dive in. And I'm going to refer back to Ephesians a lot because as I said at the beginning when we started the book of Colossians, there's a lot of parallels between the two epistles. Uh, Paul is writing to the Colossian church here specifically. And the Ephesian church, many scholars believe, is more of a general letter that went out to multiple churches uh, and was read throughout many churches. So in, in the original manuscripts, Ephesus, where we read it in our Bibles, is actually left out. It says, to the saints, blank. So it's like you can insert your name there, uh, whatever church was reading it. So it was more general doctrinal issues, uh, life application issues. Colossians is more specific to the church in Colossae. So let's begin in chapter 3. It says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And any time we see if then... There's always, it's always referring back to something. And if you are there, you, or you can flip one page back depending on your Bible. We saw in chapter 2, verse 20, he said, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why are you still alive in the world? Or why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulation? So he's saying, if you've died with Christ, why are you still living as though you have to earn your way to God? In the same way, he's saying, if, because we've died with Christ, we've also been raised to new life in Christ, if that's the case, then let's not seek the things of this world, let's seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. A lot of people try to crucify Jesus over and over again, and they just kind of sit in this state of, Jesus died for my sins, which is true, and we're so thankful for it, but what he's saying is, Seek those things where they're above. Because we, if, we, if we look at the cross and stay there, we forget that Jesus rose from the dead and ascended to the right hand of the Father where he sat down. 
and complete the work was finished. He didn't have to do anything further. He sat down in in the sense of same in the same way that God rested on the seventh day of creation. There was no more work to be done. Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father, and he says, Set your mind on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And we saw in Ephesians, if you're familiar with the letter to the Ephesians, it says that Christ is seated at the right hand of God. I'll read it for you. It says uh, in verse 20, chapter 1, that he worked, meaning God, in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. He has put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. We talked about that in chapter 1, about how Jesus Christ is the firstborn of all creation, and he created all things, and all things are sustained by him. Nothing was made that has been made apart from Jesus Christ. So because he has been given all authority by the Father, and he's seated at his right hand, we can rest in that. And it says that we are in Christ, in the heavenlies, with God. So if that's where we are eternally, that is where God wants our perspective to be. We talk, you hear people say that they're, of, they're so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. That's not biblical. Anybody who says that it is is mistaken because Paul says pretty much as a paraphrase, be heavenly minded so you can be of earthly good. Put your, your thoughts on the things that are above, not on, crap, my job stinks today. Not on like, um, you know, why does this person on my case all the time? You know, why am, why am I falling into this same pattern of woe is me and all this depression and all this stuff? Why am I dealing with all these things? It's because our perspective has been taken off of where our eternity lies, which is in Christ, in the heavenlies. And the crazy thing is, we talked about it before, but not only are we in Christ, but he's in us down here, which is just a weird, weird thing. I don't know. It's like, I picture it like a Russian nesting doll where there's like, the little one inside the bigger one and then the little one even further you know it's like it's god and christ is in god and we are in christ uh, you know it's just crazy there's no way to really comprehend it we just ask that the spirit would allow it to affect our lives in a positive way because if we sit here and try to figure out the details and the specifics of it we'll go crazy but what's encouraging is that the bible says it and when we put into practice the things that god has said are true and we believe that who we are in Christ is a new creation and that's how we believe and that's how we live, you'll be amazed at how differently you see the world and how when you see something, you can see the powers behind it. You can see, okay, I don't know why this is happening, but I know who's behind it and I know that greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. So I can have the confidence to continue to move forward regardless of the circumstances that I'm in. And that's a great perspective to have. And I, you know, I'm, I'd be lying to tell you if that's the perspective I have every moment that I wake up in this world. I need to write it on the ceiling above my bed. That's got to be my mantra. To set my mind on things above, not just on the ceiling above me, but beyond that, into the heavenlies, so that as soon as I'm smacked in the face with reality, when I put my feet on the floor next to my bed, the truth of who I am in Christ is what's hitting me.
is what's dictating before I even take a sip of coffee or look at my phone or even open the Bible, the truth of who I am in Christ is already active and working in, in my heart that day. That's, the, that's what God wants from us because when, I, when we're in that perspective, you know, as Chris often says, you know, we, we bring what's up there down here, you know, like that's the truth that we have uh, to live out down here on earth. Otherwise, why did God leave us? If we, if we said, Jesus saved me and he had no plans for us here and he only wanted us to be in heaven, we would have been out of here like that, right? There's a reason why we're still here. It's not to get really caught up in what's going on down here and be like, wow, did you see that debate? Whoa, exciting stuff, right? It's people are lost without Jesus Christ. And we have the message from heaven, the wisdom from heaven, which is Jesus Christ, as we've been studying in Colossians. The reason we're on this earth is to bring that message to the world, is to reflect Jesus Christ, to shine and radiate Jesus Christ to a lost world. But we can't do that if we're focused on this world. Does that make sense? We have to be channeling, essentially, through our faith. It's like our conduit, channeling the eternal riches of heaven down and bringing them to this earth. That's what we talk about when we say bringing the kingdom to earth. So we'll move on here. It says, For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. We talked about this a couple weeks back and, and we actually... My little phone records it, so if you want to listen back to it, you can. Uh, if you go on the, the 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 info for the Unchained Gospel and Church Without Walls, but essentially we talked about how God sees us as radi you know, essentially we radiate the glory of God because it's Christ inside of us. We're earthly vessels. We have this treasure in jars of clay. If you're familiar with that verse, and we said how sometimes we can feel like cracked pots, and that's a that's a cliche that everybody says when they're preaching and stuff. But when, the, when other people see us, they see the cracks. When God sees us, he sees a whole body. He does, and, and we talked about how to the world, those cracks are to shine the light of Christ that's inside of us out into the world. So when we look at this, it says, when Christ, is, who is our life, Christ that's inside of us, when he appears, we will also appear with him in glory. So these are some high things, okay? Like, where, where he transitions, it kind of is a, a buzzkill, as it were. Because he's talking about, we're up in heaven with God and, and everything's great. Jesus solved the problem. The end. You'd think that would be like Revelation 21, 22, like close the Bible. And the next verse is, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And you're like, wow, Paul, what have you done? I was up here. I wasn't thinking about anything on this earth. And then you just gave me a list of earthly things. Why did you do that? You broke my concentration. But the encouraging thing is, is that even though he says you put it to death, we saw it's Christ who is our life. We died on the cross with Christ. So anything that's living in us is of Christ. So the very ability to put these things to death is Christ in us. So we have to remember that. It's not... Okay, now here's a bunch of works that you can do to make yourself a better Christian. Because that he already talked about that in chapter 2 when he said you're free in Christ, okay? It's nothing you can do can add to the completed work of Christ. However, he also says that we should walk worthy of how we've been called. There's a truth that does not change, which is if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you are seen as holy and righteous in the eyes of God. 
However, just as we've been called to set our mind on things above, we have been called to live Christ's life here on earth. And if we are involved in the list of what he's about to describe, we are not reflecting and radiating the glory of God when we're involved in these things. So putting to death these things in our lives is necessary, not to earn favor with God and to make ourselves more saved, but it's necessary so that we can be just representations of Christ here on this earth because Christ wasn't involved in this stuff and if he's inside of us, we shouldn't be dragging him to the bar. We shouldn't be dragging him to the adult bookstore. We shouldn't be dragging him to the track. That's essentially what he's going to start to say here. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. All sin can be traced back to one sin, which is idolatry, okay? It's putting something in the place of God in our lives. That could be a person. It could be a job. It could be ourselves. It's idolatry. We call it by different names, but ultimately it is idolatry regardless of what its outward uh, fruit is. Because ultimately, sin is sin, and it just kind of rears its ugly head in different ways. It has different masks that it, that it wears. Uh, but he says, it's idolatry, all of it. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Wait a minute, I thought you said God's not angry anymore. God is a happy, happy, happy guy, and he loves us so much that even when we do terrible things, he doesn't care. Uh, these are very dangerous things that we hear in the church. Oftentimes we say, you know, it doesn't matter what I do, God is pleased with me, which is true. In a sense, God is pleased with the work that Jesus did, okay? We have to remember that. He's not pleased by, hey, Jeff, good job at Church Without Walls tonight. High five. You know, it's not like that. You know what I mean? It's not, we do good things. It's very dangerous because we don't mean it the way we say it oftentimes. But we have to be careful how we say it. Because we say things like, you know, God loves everyone. He's not angry at anybody. God wouldn't be angry. That's not the God I love or know. But... The Bible talks about God's wrath a lot. So we have to deal with these things. I heard someone describe God's wrath as the wrath of God is God's love when it's been violated. And I find that as a really good description of it. Because if you think about it, when we have someone that we love desperately, dearly, that we would do anything for them, and something comes along and tries to take that person out or distract them from the love that I'm offering to them, you better have some wrath come out. I would hope you would. If your children are being led astray and you're not angry, you're not willing to do anything to prevent it from happening, then you're apathetic. There's no love there. You can't have love without wrath, which is strange, you would think, because we, we think wrath is just anger and unjust and just I'm going to beat everybody up and I don't care. But that's not wrath. That's just, that's rioting, and that's just anger unchecked. Wrath is just. It's, okay, here's the consequences for what you've done. We're going to judge it, take care of business, and then the wrath subsides. That's what we, we, we talk about Jesus, and we talk about God. He, God loves us so much, that's why he has wrath over sin. If he didn't love us, he wouldn't care that we were destroying ourselves by partaking in sin. He wouldn't care. 
It's bec- if God didn't have wrath, then what happened to the sin that was placed on Jesus? Right? If God was love, no wrath, then he didn't destroy sin. And he's not victorious over sin because sin is judged by God's wrath. So we have to be so careful when we start to make God in our image rather letting, than letting Jesus conform us into his image. And that's kind of what we talk about to, uh, as we go on. Because, you know, the title is The Likeness of Christ. The other thing is, is that we have to remember what Jesus said. I didn't come to, to judge the world. The world was already condemned when I got here. That's a paraphrase from John 3. That's not how Jesus said it, I'm sure. But essentially, that's what it means, is that I didn't come to condemn the world. It was already condemned. That's why I came to save it. The wrath of God abides on all unbelievers and on the sons of disobedience it's when we place our faith in jesus that the wrath is satisfied in jesus so the wrath of god is something that we we can't take lightly the other thing is is people say if we're if god's a god of love why are all these terrible things happening you've heard people say that right i thought you didn't want god to have wrath you can't have it both ways you can't say god's a god of love but all these things that i disagree with he should judge Don't judge me. Judge the things that I don't like. Right? Well, guess what? God is unhappy with the things that are happening in this world. And God will judge them. He's storing up his wrath. That's why we are sent out into the world to rescue. To to take people out of the brunt of God's wrath. Because he is allowing in his long-suffering people more opportunities to turn to him. Okay, this person preached the gospel and they just, they completely ignored it. Maybe it's the next person. Maybe this seed's going to get some water on it. You know, maybe they walked past here and they heard something, they kept walking. Maybe they'll come back next week and it'll be watered. God is long-suffering. And he doesn't want anyone to perish apart from him. But the clock is ticking. And that's why it's important for us to have our minds set on who we are in Christ so we can go out into the world and radiate that. That's my word right now. I'm sorry if I sound redundant when I say radiate. It's just a great picture of just Christ bursting out of us and shining the light and warming the, the cold hearts of this world. So he says in verse 7, In these you too once walked when you were living in them. So he's like, we're not better than everybody else. We were all doing this stuff. Once upon a time, B.C., before Christ, as we say. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old man with its practices and have put on the new man, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. This is a really interesting point, and I want to kind of spend the most of our time here. The idea of the new man. It says in 2 Corinthians 5 that anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. Old has passed away, all things become new. <clears throat> it also says in Romans 8 that we are being transformed, or being conformed into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. Uh, so the idea here, if we go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, and I apologize, I'll try to be as short as I can. In Genesis, if you recall, it says in uh, chapter 1, pretty much in the beginning of the Bible, God said, 
let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let, there have, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. It says it quite a few times here. Image, likeness. And as I was preparing, and, and, and there was a message that I, I was you know, blessed enough to, to share at our church of, uh, last year, I guess at some point, in Ephesians, similar to this passage, and it was called Walk in His Life and in His Likeness. Um, we looked at this a little bit, but I find it really interesting because it says, God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Mankind was created in the image of God. What we understand, male and female, came from God. Because when Adam was created, somehow God created him to embody whatever he took out of him to make Eve, which is kind of weird. We don't want to think about that. But he took something out of man and made woman. And it says that in the image of God, he created them. Okay? So, if we think about it, Man was what was created in the image of God. The angels were not. The beasts were not. The trees were not. So when people say, like, oh, the tree is God or the rock is God. No. God created man to reflect and to radiate, there it is again, his glory and his image to his, all of the rest of his creation. That's why it says in Romans 8, when man sinned and subjected the rest of his creation to futility, it says all of creation is groaning, right? Is crying out for the revealing of the sons of God. The rest of creation says, hey, you mess things up when you sinned. Start to live the, the new identity so that creation can be restored again and all things can be made new, which is, you know, that's at the end of all things. But when we think of the enemy and God, we often think of them as like arch rivals, right? God on one side, Satan on the other, they're duking it out. Right? It's not like that. If we, if we know what the Bible says, it's not like that. Because God created the angels. And Satan fell. And it says, that, you know, there are a lot of verses that refer, and most scholars believe they're referring to Lucifer, to Satan, saying, I'm going to be like God. I'm going to exalt myself. Right? So he wanted that. He wanted to attain what mankind had, been, had received as a gift, which was being in the image of God. So Satan, when he saw that mankind was God's cherished creation because it was in his own image that he had been created, the war was on. And he got mankind, the image of God, to destroy what God had created in them by sinning and rebelling against God. And Satan, that's what he does today. That's his only tool is to, to get the image bearers of God to ignore the fact that they've been created a certain way and in, in the process defame God. Does that make sense? Sorry, I'm getting really theological here. So, and when, he, when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, do you remember what he said? He said, you're not going to die. Your eyes are going to be open and you will what? You'll be like God. They already were like God. They already had everything. But Satan tempted them with saying, yeah, but 
you can make yourself even more like God so that you're not even subject to God. You are your own authority, right? Does that sound familiar? Is that what everybody is tempted with on a daily basis? Satan's tricks are old, but he gets us and he he dupes us every time. This is why Paul says, don't think about this earth. Don't think about the fact that you had malice in your heart, the fact that you used to sleep around. Don't think about the drugs that you used to do. Think about who you are in Christ now and allow that to conform you into his image even more. Um, What's really, really cool is that even though mankind has tried for generations to become like God, to earn their way back to being God's image bearers, God said, I'm not going to allow this to continue anymore. So Jesus, it says in Philippians 2, was in the form of God, right? Just like it said of Adam. And Hebrews 1 says that he is the express image of God. It means that when we see Jesus, we see God's likeness, okay? He, being in the form of God, didn't think it was robbery or didn't think that equality with God was something to be grasped, is one translation. He gave it up and came to be in the likeness of what? Man. Is that crazy? God created us in his image and in his likeness. And we tried to get it another way when we already had it. And then we just continue to try to become like our own God in our lives. So Jesus said, you know what? I'm going to become like them. So that in my humbling of myself and my obedience, even to the death of the cross, the sons of God can be conformed back into the image that they were originally intended to bear. I think that's pretty cool because... It's always God saying, you have nothing to contribute to this. I'm going to do it all. I think that's really cool because otherwise we'd all be grasping at straws trying to get back to God and we couldn't do it. So as we go back to Colossians 3, 10, it says, And put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creators. Does that stuff start to make sense a little bit here? It's where we're putting our mind. The enemy can't make us do anything. He can only make us doubt who we are and who God is. That's what he said to Adam and Eve. Did God really say that? You can be like God. Adam and Eve could have said, well, as far as I know, I was created in God's image and likeness, so I don't need to be like God because I'm already like that. He made them doubt who they were, and he made them doubt what God had said and and God's character. And that's what he does to us today. So it's important that our minds... Are renewed. If you read the Old Testament, uh, the New Testament, I challenge you all. This is your homework. Not that I give you homework, but find out how many times it talks about our mind and the renewing of our mind. Why? Because that's the battleground. That's where the enemy attacks us. He can't. The devil made me do it. He can't. He can't make us do anything. But what he can do is when he sows those fiery darts. It's the shield of faith that blocks the fiery darts. So those fiery darts are doubt and all the things that we face on a regular basis. And it's our faith. Uh, If you remember in the very first chapter of Colossians, it says, I've heard of your faith and your love for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. They understood where their eternity was. They understood where their destiny was and because of that they had strong faith and they loved the saints and that's what he calls for all believers 
Set your mind on things above, not on the things of this earth. It says here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. And we'll end with these verses because he said, okay, here's what you're going to get rid of. Here's the stuff you're going to put off. You're going to take off those old clothes, that old nature, those dead, filthy rags of unrighteousness. And you're going to put on the true garments of praise. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. How did Jesus Christ forgive us? On the cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. We can't hold on and harbor unforgiveness waiting for people to apologize to us. God called us to forgive. He called us to be like Christ. Just as Christ forgave you completely out of your own, you didn't do anything to deserve it, we are called to do the same thing. That's the hardest part. All this other stuff, like, yeah, I don't have to kill people anymore. Okay. You know, yeah, I don't, I never liked getting drunk anyway. I'll stop that. But then when he says, forgive as Christ forgave you, even if they don't deserve forgiveness, we are not, we, we don't have the right to withhold forgiveness because we've received forgiveness from the most amazing I can't even put it into words. The wrath of God subsided in the, sa- the satisfactory death or, or you know, the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ on the cross. And we're forgiven when we place our faith in that. Everything we've ever done. Everything. Hallelujah. And then we're going to go, I don't care about that guy. He did that thing to me. He's going to rot and burn. You know, it's just, it seems very trivial and trite when you put it in the, in the scope of everything. The final verse we'll look at. And above all these, meekness, humility, patience, all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. God is love, it says, right? So if God is trying to conform us back into the image of where we were originally created through his son, Jesus Christ, how can we not have love? That's God's nature. You know, when I said before, like, God's not angry and God's not all cuddly. You know, like we we can't, it's not, they're not mutually exclusive. It's because God loves that he has wrath over sin and its destructive effects in the lives of his children. But it's because of that love that he cares. Does that make sense? Like, otherwise we'd all just be lost. Like most people believe. Oh, it's just, you live and you die, and you have fun, and whatever, then you cease to exist. What kind of life is that? I'd rather believe, and I I believe it's the truth, that God created us to give glory back to him, to all the rest of his creation. Unfortunately, we've lost that. And uh, I'll just finish with, uh, I'll read this verse in uh, Romans. Apologize. Um, just as an encouragement to you guys, because it's important that we see who we are. It says, um, Romans 8. Verse 
13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, seated at the right hand of God. That's where we are. That's our destiny. Heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So when God prunes us and and tries to conform us into his image, it's not all rosy and happy all the time. There are things in our lives that we need to put to death. Things in our lives that we need to cut off and say, no more. I want more of God inside of me reflecting outward to the world. I don't want him to see that that I just did. I don't want everybody that looks at me to, to see this about me. I want them to see Jesus. Well, then let God take those things from you. Give them up. Yield to the Holy Spirit in your life. Because when you do that, that is when God is glorified by the revealing of his sons and daughters on this earth, which is how we were originally created to be anyway. So just remember that. If there's anything else, anything that you remember tonight, remember we were created in the image of God Satan tempted us to try to make God into our image. God said, no, I'm going to become in their image and die for them so that they could be conformed back into the originally intended image of God.